Father in heaven, we really are truly thankful that we can be in the house on this day. We're few in number, Lord, but so thankful for the fellowship that we can share and the assurance that we stand before thee in thy spirit, expecting and, and able to expect a blessing and direction from your word. Pray that you would speak to us where it's needful for us. Pray that you would be with those who aren't with us today, those that are sick, those who aren't able to come out, those who might even just be watching. Pray that you'd give them encouragement and, and strength from above and that as we would all walk away from this day, Lord, we could say that we were truly blessed to be at thy feet. Again, we're thankful for this privilege and pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd ask you to turn, turn with me to the book of James, chapter 4. Um, I have a, this is, I'll give you a little bit of background. So after, after hearing of, uh, of Brother Mike's passing, I, I also heard that he had preached the afternoon service in Windsor um, the Sunday before he passed. And a, a number of folks had watched that sermon, as you can get on their website, and, and were just um, moved by how he spoke of he spoke of making plans and, and the passing of time and, um, and how it was just so poignant that this was the last message that he would have for his congregation. And so I, I, I was encouraged by that and I, I listened to it and really felt led to, to look at the same, same passages because there were a couple of things that really jumped out to me and even a comment that came, we were, we were out to dinner last night for Max's birthday and a comment that the... Um, that the waiter made to our family and some questions that came up afterwards uh, just, just struck me. Um, and I guess I'll give you that first. It's not going to make much sense in the moment, but the, it's Max's birthday yesterday, and, and the waiter comes up and he says, you're a Capricorn. And Max was like, <laughs> didn't know, didn't have any idea what to do. So he took the Lego box that he had just gotten out of the bag, the shopping bag. The guy says, you're a Capricorn. And Max goes, I got a Lego set for my birthday. Like, he didn't even, he didn't even want to acknowledge. Like, he had no, and Ethan's like, a Capricorn. And so then there, we had a little bit of a conversation with the, the waiter about Zodiac sign, like, wh whose signs were which. And I have no idea what mine were, when I was born or whatever. And so then Ethan's like, what are they talking about? Like, what is he, what is this Zodiac? Like, what is that? And so f first I told him, I said, well, do you know about astronomy? And he's like, yeah. And, I, and then I had to correct myself. And I said, well, it's kind of like astrology, not astronomy. And I stumbled through it. I really didn't know. And he probably by the end of the night had Googled it and figured out what it is and knows more about it than I do. But the man made this comment about, he, I don't even remember what he was, but the comment was something that, well, I'm a crybaby because of my sign. I'm a crybaby. And then he talked about how his sister was also a Capricorn and whatever that meant, that you're a self-starter or whatever, whatever it meant, that, that somehow these things were arranged for you, that somehow by virtue of what your sign is, that has some kind of impact on, on who you are and what you do and, and, and who you become. And it made me think, you know, there are those comments that we make that, well, as an oldest, you're this way. And as a youngest child, you're that way. And then I laugh because 
I'm the oldest and I don't do things like all, all other oldest children and my youngest isn't anything like my parents' youngest. And I wondered about this, this, this idea of inherent decisions or in inherent uh, actions that are taken just based on who you are and based on where you came from and based on what you do. And certainly there is a measure of, of influence that our society and our upbringing and all these things have on us. But in reality, there's, there are still it's decisions that we each make. There's decisions that we each make and plans in our lives and, and um, choices that are made throughout our lives that decide what paths we, we would take. Um, and so just as kind of keeping that as, as a bit of a background for, for a second, um, you know what, let's just read the verses. I, I think we'll read rather than, I was first going to just read the few verses that they shared in Windsor, but I, I want to read the whole chapter Chapter 4 of, of James. It says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even as the lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit dwelleth in us, lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. And purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother judgeth his brother. Speaketh the law evil... Excuse me, I'm going to start at the beginning of that verse. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver, who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgeth another? Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell, and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that, thinketh, that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. All of chapter 4 of James. Thinking through this, uh, the start of this new year, and um, making plans in it, and making 
maybe yeah, making plans at, for activities in in this coming year. I've I've been in a little bit different place than I have in the past. Where, um, in the past, I, I would say probably for the past ten years, I've always been involved with projects that were wrapping up around Christmas, and it always had to do with um, state funding. Right, everybody's got to get all of their tax credit information. All your tax stuff had to get done. You got to spend all your money on these projects before the end of the year. Get your certificate of occupancy so that all of the paperwork in early January would flow out and that so folks could have a, a good financial approach on or good financial statement on each of their projects. And this is the first year where I hadn't had that. Um, my projects at my previous job had closed out in early middle summer and I started a new job in de December. And so that was kind of orientation for all of December where I'm still trying to figure out where to get pens um, when it says print to this printer. Like, it's a much bigger place, and there's 20 printers as opposed to the four we had at our old place. And so I spend most of my time running up and down the halls trying to figure out where my piece of paper had printed to. And so I, as the new year has come around, I have new projects that are starting and, and planning in this new position is totally different than in my previous. Uh, I was used to managing people in the, in the actual construction portion of the project, and now I'm in the, the sales and the estimating side on the very, very front end. And when I tell somebody that I'm working on a project, it's a project that probably isn't gonna break ground until the end of this year. And so the perspective is even different. And, and trying to, you know, I used to work with a calendar that just that showed this month. It had a focus on this month. And my task list was, what do I got to get done by Friday? And now my task list is like, I have a 12-month schedule on the wall because I've got to project something out much, much, more, much, much farther. And so it's been interesting to, to have this new calibration, I guess I would say, as I'm looking at a new year and, and the things to come. And so there, the, in my plans for the year, there's, there's many things that are so new. But there's some things that, are, that still stay the same. Different building, different location, but some things still stay the same. Still having to you know, plan out with, with kids' schedules and figuring out you know, over the next couple of weeks, there's this band concert, and that one has a chorus concert, and then there's, predictably, they have more days off than I ever realized. I felt like we never had days off in school, and then I see how often the kids are home, and I go, do you ever go to school? Tomorrow's a day off. And no, I don't get that off. So we have to navigate some meetings and, and figure out how to plan it. So as much as things change, the more they stay the same, as that, that old adage goes. But the other th thought that came to mind was this statement of like resolutions, these declarations that we make for the new year. This is going to, in this new year, I'm going to do this. In this new year, it, um, uh, this is my objective, uh, you know, it's, whether it's, Dad mentioned last week, get in shape, um, eat healthier, what, whatever the resolution is. Something else that's new about the place that I'm at now is um, mission statements. I, I knew this. I knew that my, my previous employer had a mission statement. I had no idea what the mission statement was. I knew that on the... On the website, when it showed it there, it was pretty long. It was, it was a pretty long mission statement. 
But in my new employer, and I'm not going to try to repeat it this morning because I, I'm still learning. I'm only five weeks in here and I haven't memorized it. But at the beginning of every Monday morning staff meeting, they read the mission statement. And I know the first part, excuse me, the vision portion of it is to be the contractor of choice in the markets we serve and to complete our work honestly and ethically. And there's, it's a little broader. There's a little more to it than that. But for five weeks, I've gone to the same meeting every Monday morning, and that is stated. And I tell you, that really has an impact on you. There's another man that started a little before me, and he pulled me aside after the third meeting, because we sit together kind of in the back. It was like the new kids getting used to everything. And he said, does that seem kind of weird to you that we do that? And I said, well, no, I mean, I actually appreciate it. I said, it's, it's kind of neat to have this vision every day. It's kind of neat to have this, this emphasis put on you every day that, this, that we're aligned, that, that our business is built on relationships, for one, and that we're going to complete our work honestly and ethically, and that we're doing that because we want to be the, contra- the contractor of choice in the markets we serve. It says a lot of things. It says that we're not going to... There are things that we're not good at, so we're not going to go after that. We're not going to just cast a big net and try to be all things to all people. But in those things that we know we're good at, to be the best at those things. And does it frame how I do my job? Probably doesn't frame how I do my job. But in the back of my mind, I understand that I can say no to something that I know isn't going to be in that path or on that road but that I have the support to do everything I can on the proper path. And so this, this thought about driving, that, 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 our, that, these declar- that this declaration of a vision, a declaration of a mission, is driving the path of the business, has, has struck me and made me, made me wonder, for my personal life, for my personal life, what is my mission statement? for my personal life? What drives the decisions that I make in my personal and my spiritual life? This, the end of this passage here, in verse uh, 13, it gives this example of what we'll, I'm going to call him a businessman. That's, I'll confess, this is where Brother Mike started a couple weeks ago. And he used this example of this businessman in verse 13. It said, Go now, ye that say, so this man said, Today or tomorrow, We will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. This is like a perfect business plan, right? We are analyzing the market. We've analyzed the market. We see this particular city. This particular city is primed for whatever product it is that we have, whatever widget we're selling. This place is primed for it. We're going to go in. We're going to... Continue there a year. We're not going to stay forever until the market's saturated with somebody else. We've got this window that we can come in and we're going to buy and sell and get gain. The plan is written out. It's executed. The plan is written out. We've made sure that we've prepared with all of the resources that we need, that you know maybe marketing's gone in in advance and, and prepared the ground, kind of seeded the ground, getting it ready for, for this... Um, Sales blitz, and then the plan's ready to execute. We're, we're ready to go in. And the comment or the, 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 
The response to that that James offers is, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. That plan is great, he says. That, that plan is, is probably something somebody would look to, to, to mimic. If that's a business plan from a Fortune 500 company or from one of these folks that have been wildly successful, that's the thing to mimic. A friend of mine uh, has a... Yeah, I can tell you what it is. A friend of mine has an accounting business. Started his own accounting business. Went from one of the big accounting firms around here with a friend of his... And they started their own little startup, and they did great and slowly built that business up. And then all of a sudden, they started a, another branch of it. They started another venture within the business. And it has to do with online management, basically having like an online CFO kind of thing. Let me just leave it at that. And they'd seen that done by other people. They'd seen that product offered to small companies that don't want to have somebody in-house. And they've seen it be successful. And so they, they built their own version of it. And it started to explode. It's grown huge. It's grown to the point where when you look at his name now, and it used to say like what his position was, he got rid of the part that says CPA. And now it says founder of whatever this little business is called. And he said a few months ago that now he can even look and predict that based on the growth of that thing, that he will be purchased by some bigger company very soon and for an astronomical amount of money. To me, an astronomical amount. And I just had to step back. I'm like, how, how can you even see that? Like, how, how is your vision so clear that you know what that path is going to be? And he says, well, it's the predictors. I can see that the growth of the business looks like this based on other comparables, and I can see what the market's doing. And all this happened before inflation went crazy and all that other stuff. So I haven't talked to him in a little while about it. But as I read this portion of that verse 13, it, it, it tells me about my friend who also has no perspective about verse 14. is not taking into consideration that... Why sh how can we say this when we, we know that our life is a vapor? It appears for a little time and then vanisheth away. Verse 15, for what ye ought to say is if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. That was always one of those, um, it was always one of those phrases, those church phrases that I always heard as a kid that I always thought was like a little coy. Or not, not coy, quaint. I, I'm going to, well, this is recorded, but I'm still going to say it. That was one of those phrases until recently that I thought was a little too churchy. I was a little, I, I would get annoyed. I will confess that I would get annoyed when I would, I would perceive, and I'll, I'll say as an immature child, that somebody was trying to be holier than thou when they said, well, God willing, I'm going to do this and that. God willing, I'm going to go, uh, God willing, we'll be here next week. God willing, we'll have the fall outing. And I'd go, we're having the fall outing. Like it's, the changing of the seasons happen and we have the fall outing. God willing, we're going to do this. Well, you know what? Until a couple of years ago, when we realized that there were things that God did not will to happen. 
We didn't have a fall outing. We didn't have camp. We didn't have, there are all these different things that I know they're quaint. They're the way that child's, the way that children measure time. God willing, this will, things will go, God willing, there will be an NCAA tournament. And then all of a sudden there wasn't an NCAA tournament. And Ethan and I looked at each other like, wait a second. The world is not the same. Brother Mike preached this on these verses and God didn't will it that he be there the next Sunday. I'm going to steal the punchline. I thought this, this is going differently than I thought. The last words that he shared in his message, afternoon service, he had just kind of pointedly talked to some of the unconverted in the benches and along these lines of you've made all kinds of plans. You've made plans for school. You've made plans for who you're going to marry. You've made all these different plans, but have you made a plan with God? And the last words before he sat down were, are you ready to, make your, are you ready to meet your maker and close the book and sat down? I mean, I can't imagine what kind of impact as an unconverted child, unconverted young person, sitting in the benches and hearing my elders say, are you ready to meet your maker? And then you get an email or a text or a call that says that he died of a heart attack. Not, not that he was 93 years old and in failing health and this was something that was expected. No, just plucked from this earth. Because he was surely ready. And his plans were in line. Our lives are a vapor. And, and, and the question that I have been left with as I think about these things and ponder upon them is, what kind of plans am I putting in place? What kind of preparation am I, I making? What kind of, um, what kind of activities am I exercising myself in this thought again about the mission statement am i working am i laboring in my life and in my spiritual life in a path that is one that the lord had directed for me um, i'm going to do a little bit of flipping around here in philippians 3 we have the verses from the apostle paul as he's he's giving his credentials right he goes and explains you know what does it say Boy, I'm fidgeting here. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the pride of Benjamin, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is a law blameless. I mean, he he has a mic drop on his credentials. Like if this was the Hall of Fame speech for. Um, Jewish zealots, he just ramrods them right through. Like, this is everything. I have done everything. Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, that's not where I wanted to be. Not as though I had already attained. Sorry. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I might apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 was the one I was looking for. I'm sorry, I skipped too far ahead. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss 
for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. One quote that the brother used a couple weeks ago that I had not heard before, but I thought was so poignant. He says, do you know what the definition of failure is? The definition of failure, a definition of failure, is being successful in the wrong things. The definition of failure can be being successful in wrong things. And so immediately my, my neck kind of, the hair on my neck kind of stands up because I, I think to myself, like, well, what are those things that I may be successful at that are not correct, that are wrong? What are those things that, that the world might look at that say, boy, that is, look at the success that he's having. Look at, look at the things that are going well that are wrong. And how do we define what things are wrong? And, and the, the, clear, the clear direction, right, is as we go back to Hebrews. Go back to Hebrews 4. No, not Hebrews. What am I talking about? James. Are these things aligned with the Father's will? Are these things aligned with the direction that the Lord's given to us? Are they in step? Are they directed by him? The verse uh, in earlier in James, ye ask and ye receive not. When we pray, this is, this is the, the inference here. So when, when you pray and you don't get it, what, what it, what's happening? The world asks this question all the time. Why would God let these things happen? Why in the world could something unfold this way? It says that ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Well, maybe we, we don't think it's that. It's not that bad, right? Maybe it's not because we want to consume it upon our lust, but maybe we've made that prayer of supplication to the Lord, made that begging prayer to Him that He would save someone or, or change some kind of situation. Yet we don't allow the pause in our lives, we don't allow the quiet in our lives for the Spirit to come back and say to us, you know, that's not my will right now. This person that's... Pe- we have this situation, this miraculous situation with this young man that dies on a football field and everybody under the sun. I was so thankful to hear it that I didn't hear one person, and maybe I didn't look that hard, but I didn't hear one person get annoyed and snippy when people started saying thoughts and prayers because that's almost been like the, the hashtag, the annoying hashtag. When something bad happens and everybody well-meaning says, you know, we're offering our thoughts and our prayers. Well, forget about the thoughts. Let's just pray. And when this man died on the field, people prayed. People that didn't, had no idea who they were praying to, what they were asking, prayed. And sometime this week, yesterday, maybe it was even yesterday, he went to practice, not to do any physical work, but went to practice to see his, his uh, teammates. I really hope and I pray that this example, this testimony that the world's been able to experience of answers to prayer allows and provides for God to get 
the credit. Does he need the credit? Does, does he want, sure, he wants us to give him the glory for it, but he doesn't need it. But, but for a world to use this an example as an example of answered prayer, because it wasn't prayed amiss, I guess. It wasn't something to be consumed upon ourselves. But the question, and, and I found a quote from, from Charles Spurgeon about this verse, and it says, We must remember that the purpose of prayer is not to persuade a reluctant God to do our bidding, but rather to align our will with his. We all know that transition that happened in our, in our kids' lives where, you know, we, the, the prayers at night. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Guide me through the starry night and wake me with the morning light. And then, God bless. And there's the whole list of God blesses. And then there's the additional pieces at the end. And I used to have a bunch of them. Please help me not to have any bad dreams. My wife added a beautiful one for the kids when they were little. Please help me to wake up in the morning happy and healthy. And then there were other incidental ones. And some of the kids, um, probably a little more mature and diff- at different ages, would add, um, as we have situations in here, pray for Brother Mike's family. Pray for um, if somebody was sick. We've had a number of loved ones over the years that have been sick or had passings, and they would add those little pieces. But you, then there was also, please, please help me to get what I had asked for for my birthday. I'll let you guess which one of them had that prayer. Please make it so that we could have a snow day tomorrow, because I did my snow dance. Please, you know, there's the please, 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 all I want kind of things. And so you have to have that conversation that, you know what? That's, that's not why we pray. That's not how we pray. When you hear daddy at the dinner table or and when we pray in church, there are the dear Lord help us with this. And it made me realize that we have to have more. There should be as many thanks in our prayers as there are pleases. And it's beautiful when you get to see that transition and you get to see the prayers change to, to, to ask for things to be... Um, to be blessings. I'm hoping, and I, not hoping, I'm, I'm praying that as they watch lives lived in faith, that the pleas will be, Lord, give me direction in this. Lord, show me where this is supposed to happen. But, but the part that I almost, the, the verse or the words from Spurgeon have one phrase in there that I don't like. We talk about aligning my will with God's. Align my will with him or align him with, we say align my will with his, but then I kind of mean sometimes, Lord, but align your will to mine. Just, it doesn't have to be, not all like in major ways, but like, can you just help come, come here to what I already had in mind? And then the verse comes to mind a couple verses in verse uh, chapter 12 of Romans 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This verse 
and when I do my notes, I have these arrows that, you know, this yields this and yields this. I'm no chemist, but that's what I, I these arrows would yield. And I know that when Spurgeon says that I want to align my will with his, what really has to happen is there needs to be, have my will conformed to his will. To change my will to his will. And that being conformed, the only way that that can happen is if it's transformed. And this verse says how? By the renewing of my mind. That I may prove. And, and how, how does that... You know, we had the conversation the other day about there are verses in the, in the King James and there are words in the King James that doesn't seem like... It doesn't seem like I would say it. And so I looked that verse up because it's like, what is, prov- what is the kind of proving that we're talking about? Is it a proving, like proving a scientific theory or proving like we have a, uh, a, a testimony night here? They have a proving. They're proving that this person is really uh, changed, that they're, they're really redeemed. And when I looked in the Amplified, it still uses the word prove. I don't have it written down, but I'm going to recall. It says, by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove, in parentheses, to yourself what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That our minds need to be renewed in Christ so that we can prove to ourselves, so that God's will can be revealed to us and that as we see our minds conformed in the Spirit to Him, that we can prove that the things that He has in store for us, that He's laid out for us, is the good, perfect, did it say acceptable? Yeah, good and acceptable. We know it's acceptable to Him. Make sure it's acceptable to us. And perfect will of God. Proving to myself. The first thing that has to happen in order for my mind, that means that my mind has to be changed, right? That I had some other expectation. If I had some other expectation and my mind needs to be changed, then it's my will first that has to be set aside. My expectation. I saw it happening this way, but God wants to prove to me that this is his plan for my life and it is perfect. Last thought on this it's it's easy it's easy to pray for direction and to to look for the lord's will in big things right like when something is scary okay i'm gonna getting married can be scary like making that decision is a huge it's a huge decision and you do not want to screw that up. Nobody wants to screw that up. So going to the Lord on your knees, begging for direction in that situation makes this perfect sense to everybody. Nobody would question that. I'm praying for the Lord's direction in who I'm supposed to marry. I'm praying for the Lord's direction in my career. I'm praying for the Lord's direction for my family and where we're, we're to live and to any of those things. Those, I'm praying for direction from the Lord for what treatment my young child is supposed to have. My best friend had to make decisions that I would not wish on anyone. 
do you go with this aggressive treatment and risk this result? And do you go with this less aggressive treatment and risk that result? You can't do anything but leave that in God's hands. But what I was struck by and what I was convicted by is that there are small decisions that we make every single day, little tiny ones, that have, that the, some of which have monumental impact on our lives. The example that, that I, it came to mind is I'm a, I'm a nut for, and my family can tell you, I obsess and go down rabbit holes. Something I would love to do before I die, and I have absolutely no idea how it would ever happen, is do the Great Loop. Aunt B knows what I'm talking about. I'm sure that some other folks do too. The Great Loop is to circle as much of North America as you can. You effectively go down the East Coast, around Florida, back up, not the Mississippi, some of the Mississippi, but you go all the way up to Chicago, all the way back over through the Great Lakes, and then come back and wherever you started again. But take from Mississippi East, draw a circle around that, and you do the whole thing. And there are people, they're called loopers, and they do this. Some folks, they just sell everything they have, and they just live on their boat and just keep going around in circles. Seems futile. Ashley would agree. But I would love to do this. And I follow one guy that is a captain that helps these people because some of them are too frail or whatever and can't do this one trip. And one of the spots that's a little hectic or hairy is to go from Mobile or or somewhere along the the Gulf Coast, but wherever they choose to come out, and to cut across the Gulf of Mexico to effectively St. Petersburg. And what they often will do it together, and they wait for great weather. They don't. They often will also do it at night because the calm seas at night. And I watched the man plot his GPS, or not his GPS, his radar, his whatever, his nav system. He plotted his nav system for that location. And then you could watch, very high tech boat, as opposed to how we would do it. Um, you could watch how the boat was making course corrections along the way. Because a wind came up and started to push them off course this way, or they had at one point they had one engine that wasn't running at full speed or at at full efficiency, and so the boat started to to hang off to that side. But the course corrections were made by the computer, and I had to think if me and my brothers were doing this, we you know got the star in the middle, and or we the example I thought of Jeremy was driving the big houseboat up at Lake Cumberland. 60-something feet or 80-something feet long and it's got one single screw and you're driving and by the time you make a correction that you had to make another correction and so we go through the river like this because the course corrections were all off and all of that is funny and and it's it's cute but if we don't make a course correction if that captain didn't make a course correction he's headed off to the keys if he just hit the button and assumed it was going to go the right way and the computer didn't adjust, then you head off into the distance. And the sum of those course corrections, if not made, puts you in a completely different spot. In my life, in my spiritual life, in my family's life, if we're not making continual course corrections, not based on our whim and on whatever we think needs to happen or we roll some dice and throw them out there and say, okay, that's the way I'm supposed to go. But as the Spirit gives us direction... For every moment, I pray that I have the courage, not even the courage, that I have the obedience to be 
reactive and, and active in executing those changes in my life that the Lord's directed. It's not, it's not typically going to be some monumental thing. Get in the car, sell everything you have, and drive west, and I'll tell you where, when you get where you're supposed to go. But if the decision is between this TV show to watch and that TV show to watch, or this book to read with the kids versus that book to read, or this song to listen to as opposed to that song to listen to, or to go skiing with them together myself, or to allow them to go off with one of their friends. The Lord wants to give me direction, and I'm sorry this is a little mic-centric, but just translate this to whatever life situation you're in. Whatever situation we're in is the Lord is giving us direction, even into those small little details. Am I listening to it? Am I willing to make those course corrections? Am I willing to make those adjustments? Am I willing to be conformed to His will because He has transformed my life? And I guess it is good to say it at the end like the brother did. By doing those things, by, by exercising ourselves in His will and in His word, answering the question of, are you ready to meet your Maker? should be a joyful, joyful thing to us. That yeah, I am, I'm ready. Would I want to go tomorrow? I confess to you that I am loving my life. But what a blessing and a joy to be able to say that we are ready to meet our Maker. Pray that we could all have that, that peace and that confidence uh, as we step off into the week to come.